0: Hi and welcome to Hope for the Family, a podcast from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Dallas, Texas, and known by many as Maggie's. In this series, recovered family members share how they've been able to find peace and freedom as the loved ones of alcoholics and addicts through interviews and sharing their stories. For more information about our family support group, including weekly meetings, please visit magdalenhouseorg forward slash family. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Stephanie Crawford,
1: and I am a recovered alcoholic on staff here at the Magdalen House, and I am also the host of this podcast, um, which is... One of my favorite things about my job and one of the things that I love that I get to do is I get to interview family members and loved ones of alcoholics and addicts and to hear their perspective and their strength and their hope and their courage um, has just given me a whole new respect for what we put our family members through and just the bravery and dedication and commitment that they have to their own recovery is just uh, fascinating to me. So today I have on Melinda, who is going to be sharing her experience, strength, and hope with us. I will be um, interviewing her, asking her some questions. If at any moment you love what is being said, please share this with somebody that you think would benefit from it. And uh, like, subscribe, rate, and leave a review. So, Melinda, if you could please just introduce yourself to us, give us some background about you and who you are and what led you to be in a situation like a family support environment. Thank you so
2: much for having me and inviting me to do this. It's always wonderful to try to pass on what was so freely given to me, you know, and extend the hand of hope to family members and friends of addicts and alcoholics. I grew up in a very chaotic alcoholic home, and my dad did stop. My dad uh, drank uh, alcoholically. He did stop drinking, but he did not have a solution, and so uh, the home stayed very dysfunctional, and he was a of course, didn't have a solution and was a very angry man. Uh, There was a lot of, uh, again, uh, he was doing the best he could. So was my mother. But yeah, highly, highly, highly dysfunctional home. And um, I seemed to be the one out of six kids that wanted to fix everything and help everybody and make everybody happy or try to figure out what was going on. And it was, again, a very, uh, I saw, you know, enabling taking place and and codependency, whatever, you know, the the word would be. And um, at a very young age, I was uh, married with child and was, you know, was with an addict, alcoholic. And uh, we married divorced real quickly, remarried two years later, to another alcoholic and, um, and uh, eventually went through another divorce and remarried another addict alcoholic. So three marriages. And you know, not everybody's life has to be as messy <laughs> as that. You can stay with the same person or you can just trade them in and get another one and pick up where you left off. And that's exactly what I did. I picked up with each one of those relationships where I left off and I was attracted to people with quote unquote problems and, uh, thought I could fix them. Uh, Lois talks about this in her book, uh, Lois remembers, she thought she would be able to, you know, fix Bill and, um, and that's just, you know, that's, that's pretty common that you'll find a lot of people who, you know, are that egotistical (laughs) thinking that they can um, fix people or they have the power to uh, change people. But um, out of that, those three marriages came five kids. Um, Again, uh, maybe a pretty messy story. I I think sometimes I find it Kind of like, oh, man, anybody listening to my story would be, you know, kind of confused. Like, which person is she talking about? Because there was a lot of drug addiction and alcoholism scattered all through my family and other isms going on. I qualify for a lot of 12-step groups, but I, my third marriage was failing, and I was determined that it was not going to fail because you know three strikes you're out and I didn't want to be out and uh, I was like the uh, big book says the actor trying to run the show forever trying and I ended up going to a 12-step group Codependence Anonymous back in the 80s Uh, was my first 12-step experience and uh, or fellowship that I attended and uh, Codependent No More is a very very good book you know it Unfortunately, I learned a lot and got some self-knowledge from it, but I wasn't able to do what it told me I needed to do, which was quit enabling or trying to think I could fix other people. And, um, you know, I, that was in 1988. And I uh, went in and out of all different 12-step groups, adult children of alcoholics, families synonymous, um, um, Al-Anon. Love Addicts Anonymous, you know, I had uh, ther- therapists recommended, recommending different ones. And uh, from uh, 1988 to 2006, actually late 2005, you know, I was getting worse and worse and worse. Progressive dis-ease, not at ease at all. And by this time, my third marriage had uh, had ended in divorce. Uh, I was very angry person and not happy about anything sitting in the rooms talking about the problem continuously and uh by this time my three of the five children were young adults and starting to have drug and alcohol problems themselves gonna you know at least manage them or help them not be that way or whatever so you know I renewed my resolve as it says in Bill's story, I, you know, I tried again. And um, my youngest son ended up in a rehab facility. And uh, on family day, I, I acted out in front of a lot of people that, uh, and I mean, a lot of people were wondering what was wrong with me, because my, my son's Dad showed up drunk, and I needed the world to know that that was the whole reason for all my problems and my kids' problems, and you know, so on and so on. And um, my son's therapist kind of said, you know, you need to come with me, and we need to talk. And um, and he said, uh, you need to go. You, you, probably need to go to AA yourself. And I said, I'm not the alcoholic. I, I didn't say it that kindly. I uh, yelled, you know, I was not the problem. I was not the alcoholic. And um, I was going to 12 step groups. And, and he asked me a very, very good question that I had never been asked in all those years in the 12 step rooms. Had I ever worked the steps or did I just read the steps? And he said, there's a big difference. You work the steps, you find somebody to to uh, take you through the steps and you, you will be transformed. And I don't believe he used the word, there is a solution for you too. But it was a very, I heard what he said. It was a moment of clarity that I had been sitting in, quote unquote, family support groups, whatever you would call you know, 12 step groups for, uh, you know, adult children or Al-Anons or whatever, just talking about the steps or reading the steps. We would read the steps uh, and then we would go right into talking about the problem. The solution was never mentioned. And then I'm going to insert another kid here. My oldest son who had been in court, uh, he had been in uh, court appointed uh, treatment through Dallas County, a group in Dallas had gone out to uh, carry the message there of, of hope for the addict and alcoholic. And um, I, and he started working, he got a sponsor and started working the steps and I saw that he had changed. And uh, I asked him what's happened. And he said, got to work this and he said it was interesting it was within a few weeks of each up you know he said you have to work the steps and you you know step four and five is really uh very eye-opening and uh will bring about an awareness of yourself like I've never had before like like it's life changing and he said there's this group in Dallas that actually you know they study and use the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and they actually showed me in that book where it says they have recovered and been given the power. Of course, it's God's power, and they've been given the power to help others. And he said, and they, I have been helped, and uh, and nothing, you know, he says nothing short of a miracle and and the power of God and and the, you know effective sponsorship. And so I also was going to a, a church that was, because I was trying everything, church groups and yoga and exercise and, uh, you know, anything and everything, therapy, self-help books. But uh, the church I was attending, I fed the homeless and probably two weeks after that, I uh, overheard a conversation between two homeless men. And they were talking about this very same group that my son told me about. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go check that group out. And I went to a speaker meeting and people were laughing and enjoying their sobriety. And I'd never been in any kind of group like that. And I, you know, visited with a, a lady afterwards and told her that, you know, my problem wasn't alcohol or drugs but it was that you know I was I mean I didn't say it like this then but I was addicted to the alcoholic or the drug addict I was addicted to them they were addicted to the substance whatever that was so that's the you know that's the picture of codependency they I'm dependent on them they're dependent on something else and there's two of us in that equation so um she said, uh, we are about to, um, you know, our Al-Anon family group here is about to start studying the big book and, you know, our group here works out of the big book and, and, and follows the basic text and instructions for working steps and so uh, the rest is history. I worked the steps real quickly as it's laid out in the big book. And I probably in three months, I uh, was different and people were, I didn't notice it uh, really. I just followed direction, did what my sponsor told told me to do. And I was changed. And, um, and by that, what I mean is I could think um, on page 86 in the big book, it says you can react sanely and normally. And uh, I was able to react sanely and normally to, um, instead of insanely and abnormally around drug addicts and alcoholics that were in my life, I could behave and (laughs) uh, react appropriately. And also I began having really deep and effective relationships with those people. And that's really all I had ever wanted. But once I, you know, I admitted my powerlessness, to achieve that. And again, my own life had become unmanageable and I could spend hours telling you uh, from childhood to my third marriage, you know, in Bill's story, he has to do a pretty good job of concisely putting, you know, we, we, for a year, he says this one went on endlessly, this uh, two years more of drinking, five years longer, whatever. I don't have the time to give you some of the crazy stories of how I was acting. Let me just say, the police were called on me, (laughs) not just once, twice. Uh, I was escorted out of uh, a police station. I, again, acted out in front of a mass number, you know, a, a family day in front of everyone uh, gathered to hear a speaker. And um, I, I was getting worse and worse. And I couldn't keep my mouth shut, couldn't quit doing something. And again, the 12 steps, effective sponsorship, and the power of God has enabled me to now have relationships with people in my life that are drinking or drugging or not. And again, I could, I could go on and on ad nauseum about, you know, the, the scenes that I found myself in. And my motives were good. I had good motives. I wanted to be helpful to people. And if you, um, if you read on page, again, the big book, I I was told, read it like it was read for you. Uh, I mean, written for you. It says, You know, basically, Melinda was having trouble with personal relationships. Melinda couldn't control her emotional nature. Melinda was prey to misery and depression. Melinda couldn't make a living. Melinda had a feeling of uselessness. Melinda was full of fear. Melinda was unhappy and couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. And that's on page fifty-two. And uh, when you turn over to page eighty-four, you get the promises. Just I did what the book, a sp- direction from a sponsor, has laid out there in those few pages, and started getting the promises of the program. And uh, it works if you work it. So, and I was desperate. I needed. I needed help. I, you know, so many family members come in, and they don't even know they need help. I didn't know that in 1988 that I needed help. By 2006 or five, I knew I needed uh, help. I worked the steps in January of 2006. I went through the step in um, starting in January, and I would say by March, I would, I was, I was recovered, and uh, not that you know, all I have is a 24-hour daily reprieve. From my ego telling me that I can fix uh, an alcoholic or a drug addict or that I can help them. And uh, it was not easy. This is probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life to start relying and trusting in God when it came to alcoholics and drug addicts. It was a it is now like recalling from it like a hot flame. I don't go touch a hot stove and see if it burns me. I know it's going to now. And I can, I, I can, I may have an insane thought running parallel with the same thought, but I, with God's help, I, I will stick with the same, the sanity, the same thought. So
1: what does an insane thought look like? For- an insane, th- Yeah. An
2: insane thought would be, I can't, I need to, I need to do something.
1: Mm-hmm. What do,
2: or what what should i do or what can i do basically the insane thought is just whatever it is that you know triggers me into start getting on that treadmill and pretty soon i'm obsessed and i have to do something i cannot not do something once i get to that point i can't keep my mouth shut i can't i Uh, You know, you hear an alcoholic or drug addict say, I cannot, uh, you know, I cannot not drink. I cannot not drug. And I could not not stop doing something or thinking of ways to be helpful. And then I put that stuff into action and my own bad behavior begins. Everybody could see the drug addict or alcoholic's bad behavior. They drank, they drank too much or drug too much, but my bad behavior was also a result of my own mental obsession with doing something, and I couldn't keep myself from doing it.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, now, I was I was wondering, with the three alcoholic addict husbands, did you know that they had problems with drugs and alcohol in the beginning, or is that something that you figured out later?
2: Uh, the first marriage was, you know, it was a teenage marriage. There wasn't a such thing as teen mom and you didn't get a show and you, you weren't on, you know, whatever TV, whatever it was, you know, it's like you didn't get free diapers. I had to quit school or, you know, you weren't allowed in school and it was over, uh, probably as quickly as it started, you know, first guy that looked sideways at me, it was like, Oh, we're in love. Let's get married and live happily ever after. Yes, he was alcoholic, drug addict. Still, still, uh, as far as I know, still has problems in that area. But no, I had no, I had no idea that um, that was going to be a problem. That you know, he was not going to be able to work, or you know, how debilitating it is to be an addict or alcoholic. Uh, second uh, marriage was. a uh, just from knowing yeah he he drank heavily and i knew that but he was functional he went to work he was very hard worker but every other day he more or less was laid up and after he could go to work but uh, more or less absentee, start drinking uh, every afternoon. And again, was more or less, he was there, but he was sleeping it off or out tying it on again. So, yes, I knew he was a heavy drinker. And I think I didn't, I thought, well, he he's able to, he was very successful in his. So it was opposite, right, of, you know. Number one is this guy was a functional alcoholic or, and you know, I'm not sure, perhaps he was just a heavy and seems to have that issue under control today. So he may not have actually had an alcoholic body, but, and then my, uh, you know, by the, by the time (laughs) I was marrying for the third time, oh, it was up front. I talked about it. We're not going to drink. So we're not going to drink. Okay. We're not going to have any alcohol in the house. And, uh, I don't, you know, it's not healthy. We're not, uh, I, you know, it's not good for us, whatever. And I never had seen him, you know, drunk or have any kind of problem with it. And he was like, okay, (laughs) that's a great idea. (laughs) And, uh, we, um, got married and uh probably six months uh into the marriage you know he came home drunk and he had been out playing oh it was just I couldn't believe it like what this was not the deal and then it just yeah he's he said mm. he was I guess uh first six you know six months he was white knuckling or whatever, but it was like a uh, very, very chaotic, you know, that was eight years of very progressive. Growing. So, yeah, I didn't know anything. Uh, that was another thing. I had never been alcoholism and actually addiction had never been explained to me. It's another thing about this group that, uh, that was suggested to me was, you know, very clearly explains that because people hear that family members hear that it's a disease, but no one really, it's so misunderstood still. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, no one really knows why, what do you mean? It's a disease, you know, the body part and the mental part and and then being told you, you, you might have the disease too, that mind part. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: So now Was there ever a time where you were like, how does this keep happening to me?
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. uh, The third marriage, I was in a lot of self-pity and um, really mad at God because I had been, um, that was another thing. My uh, mom was devout, uh, involved in church. And so I grew up in that dysfunctional family. But on Sundays, we looked perfect. We went to Mm -hmm. church. And uh, the whole family showed up and uh, we looked, you know, prim and proper. And I took my Sunday school, whatever, my Bible studies very seriously and learned scripture and was very active in um, the church. Of course, to try and please my mother, mainly. So by, uh, you know, my third marriage and it was crumbling, I was mad at God and well, you know, mad at the world, just angry. You know, why me? I, I'm, I'm this nice, sweet, innocent little Christian girl. You know, God, you know, probably could be how maybe an alcoholic or addict feels when they might have been, you know, raised in the church. You no, know, you know, and that, that's the thing is I believed in God strongly and that's easy (laughs) it's easy to believe um the hard part was moving over into relying and trusting in God
0: Mm -hmm. and that's what
2: this program did for me I moved from simply believing in a power greater than myself to really see that power working in my life and others lives and again nothing short of a miracle but the rely that that shift to um start relying and trusting in God and and placing the drug addict or alcoholic in God's hands. When I said that's the scariest thing I've ever done, taking my hands off of my loved ones, family, friends, starting to mind my own business and that was I mean it was it was tough. Oh,
1: so. I I can imagine because I'm an alcoholic but it is still very hard for me not to play God sometimes. So <laughs> totally, totally can imagine that. Now, I know you mentioned that your son, I think it was talked about the fourth and the fifth step being very eye opening. Is that correct? Yes. Um, what did you have that same experience? Do you mind sharing about that?
2: Yeah. Uh, well, you know, in, in the big book, it says, hey, uh, Mr. Alcoholic or Miss Alcoholic, alcohol's not your problem. Uh, your self-centeredness is your problem. Selfishness and self-centeredness. So I, yeah, to be told I was, and, and I know for anybody, you know, new, being told they're selfish, it could be offensive maybe or whatever. Uh, and by the way, some of us have to be offended To actually pay attention. (laughs) Uh, So being told that I was uh, self-seeking in my behavior, like I was giving to all these people. Uh, I was the giver, the fixer, the whatever. But um, what was my motive behind that was I wanted to feel better. I wanted to get some ease and comfort. I I need to have, I need some have some ease and comfort and I'm seeking it from you and your behavior. So just don't drink or drug today and I'm going to be fine. That was me so dependent on these people instead of dependence on God, uh, my creator, my higher power. And so the fourth step, and like I say, I was ready to do the work. (laughs) Not everybody is. And that's okay. Uh, You know, it's only when you get down to keep doing what you're doing or accept some spiritual help that you might want to work this you know, actually do the work, but I was ready or needed and knew I needed to do the work. So that was an advantage, but um, yes, seeing my character defects in a way that I had never seen them before. And when I, Uh, Basically, just that I was self-centered and that that now has such a different meaning today, selfishness and self-centeredness than it than it did prior to working the steps because I wasn't selfish. I was going to give you, you know, uh, especially if you were an addict or an alcoholic, I'm going to give you my last dollar and then I'm going to go to the bank and try to borrow more and send you to another rehab, or bail you out of jail, or get you a lawyer. I was not selfish in that uh, way, or you needed, you know, yeah, take a shower, and clean up here, and I'll cook you your favorite meal, and that's going to help you never drink and drug again. Whatever it was, I was very giving, and I didn't see that, what my motive was behind that, that it was really about me in a Well, it was, it was, it was about me. And so that fourth and fifth step is like, awesome. Like that is going to bring about an awareness in, in your, in, in your life. That therapy can't, or therapy never did for me. Church never did for me. Therapy and church and self-help books begin to make sense because they were telling me something I couldn't do. And I really wanted to do those things. But it's, it's like once I had that shift, uh, that transformation in my thinking, uh, which is, you know, the description of the uh, spiritual awakening or spiritual experience, you know, it's like your spirit's been dormant and it, and it's now awakened. It's not this big, scary thing at all. I don't, I mean, it's just like, I highly encourage anyone to get hurry up and get to step four and do it. And then, you know, sit down and, and look at what's there in black and white. And, and it, it's, it might be yucky for a minute. I mean, but it's, you move on, you move on and you're like, Oh my gosh. So um, yeah. Step four and five is, is uh, and you know, we lose so many people except for. <laughs> Nobody everybody's it's so talked about as being this big bad thing. And it's it's really not. And it's mm-hmm. such a simple quick exercise. It was never meant to be, it's not therapy. Let me just say this program is a quick 12-step exercise. It was never meant to be long drawn out, write journals of thoughts, and feelings, that is for your therapist. And therapy, I highly recommend therapy. But therapy is for self-help and what you can do to change yourself. This is for uh, those things I, you know, can't change.
1: Why do you so, think we lose people at step four? Because
2: so they're scared
1: mm-hmm.
2: or afraid. But when you get, I mean, like I say, I, I was desperate. I was... Mm-hmm. I was the drowning man, and the Mm -hmm. flimsy reed was offered to me, and uh, you know it turned out to be the powerful hand of God, and Mm -hmm. uh, you know the flimsy reed, these twelve steps, or you know thinking I already knew God or had God, or you know just the awareness—it's—it's—it's just again uh, miraculous. So. But I I think we, uh, humans, you know, have made this uh, program harder than it was ever meant to be. And there's a, you know, oh boy, when you get to step four, it's going to be bad. And that's just not true. I, I, I mean, you just see what you need to see to be able to change. And ask mm-hmm. God for what you, you've you never seen that you need help with before. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's like life changing. Or what, that has been my experience. And I think there's, yeah, I think there's enough recovered addicts and alcoholics who would say, yeah. So, mm-hmm. of course, you don't stop after step four and five. Right. You go on. There's things to do to, to move on. You, and again, it was never meant to be. Oh, sit for a while with that step four or five. No, it was never meant to be like that. So well, that's where effective sponsorship too, and finding available sponsors who who have recovered and who who know what what we're what we're looking for. You know, in that step.
0: Mm-hmm. Are you an alcoholic woman in recovery at the Magdalen house? We host 12 step recovery meetings, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Whether you're a woman, newly sober and wondering where to begin, or you've been in recovery for decades and are looking for other women to connect with. We hope you join us. You can find our meeting schedule and other fellowship opportunities at magdalenhouse.org meetings.
1: Will you talk about the other stuff that you do after step four and five?
2: Sure. Well, you know, uh, now I'm at, you know, step four and five, I sat down with a a sponsor and it didn't take long for me to see the pattern that I'm, you know, you know, what, what's, what I'm doing, (laughs) how, how my behavior is, uh, you know, the big book says I was manufacturing my own misery and I begin to see, and I didn't want to do that anymore. And so, you know, uh, step six and seven, you know, asking God to remove those things from me, and that takes some willingness because that might be it's so interesting that those four step, four steps are all on one page. by the way, you know, step uh, six, seven, eight, nine, you know, all all sitting there on one page, but six and seven is real, uh, you know, short and succinct, but I think it can be uh, possibly scarier to know, I'm gonna give, I'm, what am I gonna be? What am I gonna be like if I, you know, give up these things that I've been using to uh, survive or my way of living? So um, step six and seven, you know, be uh, willing to give those things up and then uh, asking God to take them. And uh, again, uh, I want those things back and, and regularly take them back. But the thing is, I have awareness now that I've picked up those old character defects. And I'm, that's, that's the main thing for step four and five for the awareness now that I'm going back into some old behavior or some old way of thinking and um so I'm aware now when I'm wanting to go back and pick up those old tools that didn't work instead of using uh the tools of the program and then steps eight eight nine is you know uh I was not this sad. I had been running around telling the world how sorry I was for 42 years. I don't know how many, 44 years, you know, I'm so sorry. I will never act like that again. I'll never do that again. Or please, you know, I'm sorry, you know, whatever. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And making amends is so different. Uh, Amends is I'm trying to mend a relationship with this person and I'm owning uh, my behavior, and I'm talking about and looking at my own part, whether they had a part in it or not. That's totally put aside. So I go to, um, you know, uh, my kids, who <laughs> all of them, you know, but because I've been trying to control and manage and run their life, and and I can simply say, uh, you know, I've been wrong, you know. I've been wrong to you know i'm I'm realizing I was, you know way out of line with trying to tell you, you know how to live your life. you're you know you're a grown adult, and uh, i'm go- I'm working on getting better at not doing that. Is there anything I can do, you know moving forward to uh, improve our relationship? I mean it's just uh, just a real basic. Well, I mean, uh, for specific ones, you know, my employer, (laughs) I was in trouble at work. I mean, like I say, I could tell stories about, you know, like going to my employer and my my co-workers, making amends with them. People uh, ask if I was on uh, some uh, medication now, like they saw the change in me (laughs) at work. And uh, a couple of people, you know, over to the side, asked me for, you know, what happened to you. <laughs> You're not the same. And another uh, lady said, "Are you on some kind of new medication that's that's made you calm?" <laughs> and um, like I say, other people had noticed that I had been changed as a result of the of the program. But eight and nine, I cleaned up. Um, uh, the past. And, um, and that was awesome. You know, I was trying to, you know, admit where I had been out of line, not minding my own business with, you know, especially in my family and friends and um, uh, you know, just basically anybody I've, I've heard it said anybody who knew me prior to working the steps, I probably owe them an amends. So <laughs> I I and that's another thing. I don't I I move right into I I might see someone tomorrow, an old old co-worker. And I might be like, you know what? I owe that person an amends for the way I behave, you know, 20 years ago so uh you know those amends will god will bring those to your awareness too and put somebody in your path miraculously uh and that has happened uh somebody that you know i wasn't on my resentment list but i saw later and was able to say wow wasn't out you know i was out of line back then or you know clean that up but um you know, you move right into living daily in steps 10, 11 and 12, you know, uh, as I clean up the past, the book says, as I'm cleaning up the past, I'm going to move right on into steps 10, 11 and 12. And that's a daily inventory now instead of that big honking four step that, you know, took me two weeks or whatever, now this is a daily inventory that I'm going to take at the end, you know, all through the day that will be done. Um, What's bothering me. And at the end of the day, you know, did I, you know, how'd I do today, uh, God, (laughs) and uh, help me see where I need to improve. And, you know, prayer and meditation. And that, uh, again, that doesn't mean I have to learn to levitate It's meditate. It's not like I, some people spend uh, lots of time in this area. Uh, Others not so much. And it's a personal relationship with what you feel like the God of your understanding would, would want from, from you. And then trying to carry the message. That's the absolute highlight of my life today is helping a newcomer uh, Even just, they may not need a program. Uh, They may just need to be explained that this is a disease their loved one has. And they, the fellowship, uh, you know, there's two parts, the fellowship and the program. So, you know, they may just need the fellowship to uh, mingle amongst people who have, uh, you know, live with drug addiction and alcoholics in their life and they don't need a program, but um, explaining the disease to them is so important. And then, you know, they can decide if they need a program, if they need to work the steps themselves or not. But, um, you know, uh, our primary purpose as recovered family members is, you know, to help others. That's the only word that was changed in the 12 steps um, when Al Anon took um, the steps from AA, the twelfth step, the only word that was changed in any in all the steps was that, you know, carrying the message to others. That's a actually a lot more people than that. I mean, it, their family support should just be three times as big as any you know, other room, because there's just so many, so many family members that are affected by this disease. And again, giving them the information, it's a disease and uh, explaining the body, the abnormal reaction and the mental component, they can't think straight. And that may be enough for them. Or, and then also, hey, if you can't quit, you know, uh, we hear I didn't cause it Uh, I can't cure it and I can't control it. So yes, I heard that for 18 years, you know, from 1988. And I I wrote it on stickies and I put it all over my refrigerator and my mirrors and my car, but I still thought that, uh, so I didn't cause it. I could, I could mentally uh, memorize those three C's, but um, in my heart. It's like, oh, I put too much mayonnaise on the sandwich. That's why they, they got mad and they drank. That's what made them drink. That's what made them run off and go on another spree. They got so mad that day, you know. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I ca- that I caused it. And so we're walking on eggshells as family members. So I was always still, even though I heard that, I was still trying to figure out how not to cause them to drink, even though I was telling myself I didn't cause it. I still, you know, it was not congruent, my head and heart. And uh, uh, I can't can't control it. Oh, yes, I can. And here's how. And see, I, I was saying in my mind, I didn't realize what it was. It's a disease. That would be like me thinking I could control someone's cancer or diabetes. Or um, you know, so now knowing what it is, I can't, I didn't cause that. I can't control it. And I can't cure it. But family members are trying still to find um, uh, you know, just the right medical help, just the right diet for them, just the right rehab facility. They're still trying to find all different kinds of ways to cure it. So now knowing what it is and explain, explain to me that, you know, that's different than I can't, I didn't cause them, you know, it, the disease separate from the person separating the disease from the, the person. So, Mm -hmm. and so 10, 11 and 12, yeah. Living there daily is, you know, just a practical program of, living the big book says our way of living has advantages for all and that's really yeah the whole Mm
1: -hmm. the
2: whole world could benefit so
1: yeah I love the um the like identifying what it is because I had never thought of that before but it makes so much more sense whenever you recognize okay what is the it that I can't control oh yeah it is the disease and separating the person from the disease I just I've never heard Mm -hmm. that and I think that's going to be helpful to someone who hears it too um okay well we're getting to the top of the hour but before I ask you your wrap-up question I was wondering like you were talking about getting to that point of desperation of a drowning man now I know for an addict or an alcoholic the way we get there is we continue to drink or use how does a family member get to that point of desperation?
2: Well, for me, another thing the big book says, it doesn't matter how far down on the scale you've gone. So you don't have to get as bad as I was. But, you know, I mentioned, you know, I, <laughs> like Bill, in Bill's story, he says he feared for his sanity. Was I crazy? And I was, I was to that point. What is wrong with me? There's something wrong. And I think I was having consequences at work. Given uh, given one more chance, I was like I said, the police were called on me. I was starting to have legal, my own legal problems. I was just like the drug addict or the alcoholic. I was in financial a lot of financial issues because I had been financing a lot of people's addiction or trying to, you know, recovery from it. So I was starting to have a lot of consequences that mimicked much the same as the drug addict and the alcoholic, believe it or not. And also, and, and again, reading Bill's story, like, you know, take out the alcohol, but I was a lot like him. He talks about, you know, being suicidal. I think a lot of family members driven to a point of desperation are either half the room is usually homicidal. I don't want to scare anybody, but, you know, um, I've had it with this person and I can't take it anymore. That's usually is going to be expressed in a homicidal way or in an act of passion and meaning just, you know, homicidal or suicidal. And I think a lot of family members can be there and they don't know what to do. And this disease is just as deadly for a family member as it is for the drug addicts or alcoholics if you are the real deal. Mm -hmm. The real deal um, family member who can't quit So I think a lot of that stuff was starting to happen for me. Let me just say, I would be in a lot of trouble. And, uh, you know, uh, again, I don't, I I don't want anybody to compare what they're doing. Like, oh, I'm not that bad. I wasn't breaking and entering. (laughs) I wasn't driving, uh, you know, it was like, I wasn't driving all night to go find somebody, you know, whatever. I just know that I was headed for a lot of trouble, and I think you couple that with just my background, my childhood, what I had, the trauma of an uh, abusive childhood. I mean, I could go way into depth about my dysfunctional family, and again, my family was, my mom and dad were doing the best they could, but there was lots of trauma in lots of areas. Like I say, I qualify for a lot of depression groups and experience a lot of different abuse, uh, you know, growing up and that uh, affects you. And again, yeah, I was, I was pretty bad off. Mm. So I'm passionate about this program.
1: Yeah, no, I love it so much. Um, My final question for you, it's going to be kind of a two in one, but what has been some of the greatest gifts that recovery has given you and then what is the one thing that you would want to leave a family member with who is maybe listening to this who is no who's had no exposure to any sort of family support group or anything like that
2: um the biggest gifts i've been I've gotten out of the uh, program is the relationships with uh, mainly my kids who are uh, drug addicts uh, there's five and um three for sure you know two the jury's still out on you know addiction or alcoholism but that i have true and authentic relationships uh with them now my son one of them had about six months sober and a couple years ago he he said you know I think the honesty, that they don't have to hide their drinking or drugging from me. I don't support it. They know I don't. They know where I stand with it. But uh, one of my sons being able to say, I'm, I'm really not interested in being sober, mom. That was a miracle that he could actually say that to me. There would have been a day, he, he would have never been able to say that to me. And you know, that is a sign that to me is such a gift that he can be, and and me be able to say it's your life and I love you very much, you know, you know what to do if you ever want to be sober again or where to go or who to contact. My oldest son um, had seven years clean and sober, heroin addict, he's in prison today. He relapsed after seven years, he was carrying the message doing the deal, sponsoring other people, began to rest on his laurels and uh, maybe had some cocksureness. (laughs) Had he uh, had, you know, thought he had it and uh, he relapsed. And again, he's in prison today. And I was able to, um, because of the program, to just be able to tell him, uh, let me know when you want to get help you know I'll drive you over to you know detox if you decide to get help but that's what he knew I was willing to help him with and nothing else and also being able to to, to go through that relapse in a healthy way with him I mean that was just like I mean it was just like you know amazing God, that sounds like, oh, it's so amazing for your kid to relapse. <laughs> Not at all. I mean, it was very hard, but able to be helpful to mm-hmm. him in the in the right way, knowing when and how to help. Right. Um, and so, and also a couple of my other kids were able to share some abuse that they had gone through as children that they had been scared to share with me because they knew how volatile I was growing up. And so I've been able to be there for them in that way. And when I, I really wasn't when they were, you know, growing up and now mm-hmm. I, you know, can be. So uh, it's brought a, brought about a whole new life for me.
1: So, mm-hmm.
2: and I don't remember the other part of the question. I don't know. if uh, have
1: just time. One thing that you'd want to leave the struggling family member with, you could give oh. them
2: yeah, there is a solution for, and that's a you know second chapter in in the in the big book, They get right to it. They tell us there is a solution. And so there's hope. Um this seems so hopeless, but actually it, alcoholism and drug addiction gave me a new way of living that's infinitely better than any way I was trying to live prior. To um, this, so uh, you know, I remember coming in and somebody going, "Thank God for uh, the alcoholic in my life," and me going, "You are crazy." But now I understand that yes, alcoholism and drug addiction has actually been, you know, the best thing that ever happened to me. It gave me a new way of of uh, approaching life and a successful way of living. But um, yeah, for any newcomer, there is a solution it's, it only seems hopeless. It's not. And, um, work the steps if, or learn about your loved one's disease and get educated around that. So you can practice those three C's and, and know what it is.
1: Mm So. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much for this. So thank you so much. This was wonderful. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Bye, Steph.
0: Bye. This podcast is from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at magdalenhouse.org.